Hello and welcome to the Modern Reformer podcast. The mission of the Modern Reformer is the edification of the saints through the recovery of the historic faith. I'm your host, Mitchell Roten. With Avery Roten. Co-host, Vice Regent. Vice Regent. Ahoy. Ahoy. Hello, Avery. <laughs> We're also now in the Navy. Hey. <laughs> you're, getting, you're getting good at reading that intro. I just want to just say that right now. Well, if you're that going, is flowing good. If you want to say it, I'm actually not reading that. That's um, oh I know I know you're not reading it but I'm just saying you're getting good at enunciating it. That's on the old memory stick. That's beautiful. That's what I call my brain. You should have been on the radio. <laughs> the memory stick. That's on the old memory stick. It's on the old memory stick. Oh gosh. You Good. came back after the decree episode. We're glad to have you. Yeah. Uh, so the creation's a little. Hopefully, going to be a little shorter. Right. Yeah. And uh, and it does flow out of the decree, does it not, Mitch? It does. Isn't yeah. it? So uh, we're moving into creation, and uh, at the end of the last episode, I said this topic, as well as controversial in our time, I would say this topic may be one of the most controversial things in our time, not because a lot of people actually believe that stuff just pops into being, like they claim, but it is because not only do we believe that that's not the case, but we actually have a um, witness as to how that happened, and uh, that's unpopular. For various reasons, we'll get into. Um, so, suffice it to say, yeah. So, so the confession simply <clears throat> seeks to, uh, what do we say, bring out what is plainly known in Scripture about of the cre- about, of the creation. Yeah, in chapter. Uh, we we five. have a we have a quote from four. A, chapter four. Sorry, <clears throat> we have a quote from a good brother of ours. Yes, um, Nathan Skeens. Yeah, he said it very well. Yeah. yeah so yeah. he has taught through this. Um, corporately in, in the body. So he was kind enough to send me his notes from that. Been very helpful in that. So we'd like to actually open with a quote from him. He'll be coming on the podcast uh, at some point. Yeah, so there are two things that stem from the decrees of God. This is why the, the creation's after that one, right? After, in, in in the chapters. Uh, so it's two things that stem from the, from the decrees of God, and that's creation and providence. And then he also cites very well the question 11 of the catechism which we'll go through at a later date is how does god execute his decrees god executes his decrees in the works of creation and providence that's question 11 right there for you so so for a guy like myself dumbing it down uh that means that uh, like we went through decree what is a decree it is a execution of God's will. Yeah. At the end of the day. Right. And it's not a decree like a papal decree or a monarchal decree (laughs) or a um, decree of Congress or a decree of the Supreme Court. Um, We recently, we have lived through in our, in our time, even in my lifetime, I'm 30 years old. We've lived through the repeal of Roe versus Wade. And it evidences the fact that man's decrees are not like God's. Uh, And thank the Lord for the reversal of that, by the way, it's not the subject of this, but (laughs) so (laughs) thank the, thank the Lord for that. Uh, Abortion's murder. So, um, that being said, that being said, I only bring that up to say, um, the decrees of God are not subject to change, nor are they impacted by, you know, outside circumstances. That's what makes his decrees very different. But theoretically and ideologically, it's the same idea that it's been decreed. This is what's to be. And so you actually see the decree of God in Genesis one producing things. And, and I think that's the way it's given to us in that that um, he spoke it and so it was that's a decree so takes Nilo out of nothing so um, yeah so it's fair to say 
and I, I use this illustration all the time. Uh, a man asked me once, could you explain to me everything God's ever done? And I was a young man in Christ, to say the least, very mature. And I thought, no, well, definitely not. You know, <laughs> like he's done a lot of stuff. Um, but then it was an instructive question. And the he said, yeah, he could. You know, he created and he redeemed. And that's what he's done. That's what he's doing. Um, and that's it. And he's correct in that, I think. So when, even though God progressively works out this plan over the course of human history and, and in some sense is still bringing that to ultimate completion, consummation, we, we can accurately say that God has... Redemption, not creation. Uh, yeah, we're no. going to get sure. Okay. He's not uh, still speaking things into being. Yes, okay. But, but uh, he is fulfilling his ultimate plan of redemption and bringing it to pass. But he's decreed it. Um, so it shall be, you know. Yeah. So you got uh, creation chapter four, providence chapter chapter five. Now the reason is that 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 providence flows out of that decree of creation. So providence is the divine ordering of creation, and as we went through in the decree, is a meticulous decree. So he's meticulously providential as well over all things. So he's 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 God. <laughs> he's not man, and he's working these things out. There you go. Uh, what you need and he's not working them out the way we do either. So, fallibly, mutably, we we yeah, work mutably. it out fa- fallibly, mutably, yeah. much subject to change, much unknown. Yeah. And God is basically the exact opposite of that. Yeah, amen to that. Yeah. So when He decrees, it'll come to pass. Yeah. So creation, um, we'll get in. This is chapter four, point one. In the beginning, it pleased God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for the manifestation of the glory of his eternal power, wisdom and goodness, to create or make the world and all things therein, whether visible or invisible, in the space of six days, and all very good. So this is just a complete restatement of many scriptures. They cite John 1, verses 2 to 3, and it's funny that they go there first. Um, And I think what they try to evidence here is that this actually is a triune work. So you open in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God... Um, created the heavens and the earth, and you you don't immediately come away with the fact that that's a triune act, you know. And I'm thinking they actually changed the ordering of of words from the Savoy and the Westminster. I'm thinking they put in the beginning, actually at the beginning. I, I could be wrong about that, but I think they I think the order is that way to sound more like scripture. Right. But, yeah. That's so, inconsequential. It doesn't matter. It was just something that came to my mind. Yeah. So theologically, I'll tie this together. I think the way the biblical authors would want you to understand this Genesis 1 1 opens in the beginning God John 1 1 in the beginning was the word the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God all things were made through him without him was not anything made that was made that is the son of God the second member of the trinity Jesus in his pre-incarnate existence being um, with God and being God being the active word of God yeah, actually creates the universe. So uh, when we talk about um, creation, it's a triune work in the same sense that redemption is. Like we got into last time, the Father um, predestining, electing, um, the Son coming, redeeming, uh, um, purchasing that redemption on the cross, the Spirit applying. And you see the same kind of framework here. And again, that's purely biblical. Uh, they also use Hebrews 1 and verse... Two, and I'll just start in Hebrews one one. Long ago, this is Hebrews one one. At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. 
But in these last days he spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. So this idea of the through whom he created the world, this uh, active the accomplishment. The accomplishment of God's decree carried yeah. out through <clears throat> the Son. Um, so, so that um, is the point, I think, of why they use this. And again, it's just a biblical restatement of truth. And they also, interestingly, use Job twenty six twenty three, and I think they're trying to highlight uh, twenty six thirteen. Twenty six thirteen. I'm sorry, can't see this morning. Twenty six thirteen. Uh, by the heavens were made fair. Oh, 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 that's not it. Oh, I'm sorry. Twi- I'm blind. Job twenty six thirteen. <laughs> by his spirit the heavens were made fair. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Now in the ESV it says by his wind the heavens were made fair. His hand pierced a fleeting serpent. Um, I think the reason these men are choosing this verse to highlight the work of the Spirit is um, that by His Spirit or wind, you see the same thing. John 3 is a great example. The wind blows where it wishes. Uh, In Greek, it's pneuma. Uh, It's the same word used for wind and spirit. It's breath in that sense. It's the breath of God in another, the Spirit of God. Uh, you see the same thing in Hebrew. I'm not going to try to pronounce that, but ruach, <laughs> ruach. <laughs> so, so um, same thing. Uh, in the beginning, the spirit was hovering over the face of the waters in Genesis one, uh, bringing order to it, bringing structure to it, and accomplishing some, and, or, or, or applying, yeah, applying. There you in go. some sense, applying this decree. Um, so it's a similar framework uh, that you see in redemption and a triune activity. Even though right. they're they're this is in creation. Yeah. So so you see so you see this uh, triune God in economy or in action in two ways, and that's creation and redemption. <clears throat> and yet again, that's what the confession is confessing here, that the work of creation is in fact a triune work. Yeah. It's not simply a work of uh, of one of the persons, nor can you separate them. So that's that's what he's going with it. Please God. Um, so please God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, and the Son. So it's a triune work, and you see that economy is, is Mitch very well put. And so Colossians 1, um, 15 and 16, he is, this is in reference to Christ. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So then you also get a purpose in that. Um, which is not necessarily the scope of this particular part of the confession, but the purpose that things exist is for Christ. Um, he yeah. makes them. Well, yeah, and, they get in that. So, uh, manifestation. Some, yeah, right. So not 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 particularly in that manner. But anyway, the manifestation of the glory of His eternal power. Okay. So, uh, phase one, step one, in <laughs> this one. phase one, phase one, in this is that uh, the, the created order. Yeah. It's triune. It's triune, and in the beginning. So you have uh, what's being confessed here is the first cause of all things is God. There's nothing before him and nothing after him. He is in the beginning, and that's the beginning of all things. So he is preeminent. He is first. Um, All things flow from his being and his person. So in the beginning, it pleased God the Father, and God the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, so the creation itself is for one purpose only, that is to a manifestation of the glory. So not that he's dependent upon creation, that he needs anything outside of himself, yeah. but this is an attribute 
uh, of his glory, it spills over into creation, not needing to derive from it, but purely out of his good intention and will. Yeah. So I think a human illustration here does somewhat help. Um, if I make a ramp that goes into my home, I could do that for various purposes. Need to get somebody in a wheelchair up, need to easier access. If I make a, you know, if I use a tool for a desired end, it has its purpose. I created this hammer to beat in nails is what it's for. Um, so controversially, the the reason things exist are for God's glory. And this this is... Um, well, that's flowing out of the creed, right? So. Well, that's the, the purpose mm-hmm. that God uh, has in the decree is to manifest, make plain, make seen, make visible who he is, what he is. And that's why we exist uh, as humans and then as the creation in itself. Um, and, and, you know, on an emotional level and as well on an intellectual level, you can look at simplistic things in the creation and you can actually see this. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts myself and I heard a guy this week talking about how he just sometimes stares at his hand just stares at it and he's just like this is insane like this 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 reveals the certain aspects of god's character nature just in my like look how complex this hand is and and the things it can accomplish and what i use it for as a sanctified part all those things come across just as the simple thing of looking at a hand so yeah the purpose in the existence of all things is the glory of god and this is basically uniquely christian um, in the realm of religion, spirituality, um, this is very unique. Like that, God—it's okay for God to do this. Number one, <laughs> and number two, this is the purpose we have: the glory of God and the manifestation of His character. And that—that that obviously is magnified in redemption. But that's the purpose of mankind in general, you know. And so obviously, yeah. So yeah. So not only mankind, but the spiritual realm as well. So. Yeah. Also, angels and all the mystery that contained therein. You want to get into that? Well, it does, visible or invisible. So that that's physical or spiritual. So when it says that uh, to to create or make the world, that's not simply uh, like the earth. That's all realms. That's yeah, so you don't angelic mean just, so, so this would also include the universe in a physical sense? Yeah, so it's it's everything. So it's everything visible and invisible. They don't simply mean the earth or... Just a physical manifestation, or any physical realm. He's saying they're, they're all not just things. saying California, right? So they're not saying California or just the cosmos, the far reaches, whatever you want to say. It, it's it's that also uh, the angelic realm, uh, the spiritual realm. All those things are derivative of God. There, there's nothing that there's nothing that coexists with God. God creates everything. That, that's important, especially in our day, to, to make that preface. Is there's nothing in which God exists in and then transforms it. He makes it all. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a time, even before time, if, that, if you can wrap your head around that, there was a time before time when only God existed and all things flow from Him. And we have to understand that God is perfectly good inside of that existence before anything is created. He's not creating to gain things. So uh, He's completing Himself. You're right, yeah. He's a and again, saiety. And yeah. again, show, a saiety yeah. meaning eternality. Existence and, in himself, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you a, see how... A saiety. How everything, <laughs> you see how everything ties together and, and how it builds on itself. So, you, uh, you, you see the attributes of God that we went over in episode two. You see how they influence what you see going forward. 
Yeah. Yeah. So yet again, it's flowing out of that. So, so what we've seen so far is God is in the beginning. Nothing pre-exists him. This is what's being confessed. And it pleased God, uh, to create in order to manifest his glory, not to be dependent upon the creation for his glory. Uh, glory of his eternal power, wisdom, and goodness to create everything or to make the world and all things. <clears throat> They're invisible or invisible. That's all things. In the space of six days. Okay, hang on. Before we get into good. six days, do you, is there a chapter on angels and demons in this confession? Uh, I would. I think so. I'm not sure. Hang on, let's look. Uh, you would think I would know that right offhand. You should. <laughs> <laughs> you would think, wouldn't you? I don't think there is. I don't know if they've confessed that or not. They talked about elect angels before, so <laughs> oh sure, sure. Oh, they definitely believe in angels and demons. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I just don't know. If, yeah. I don't know if they take. They don't. They do not take the time to get into all that. Yeah. Uh, so right. Anyway. I, I think a short thing on that is is good, and we, we can bring that up when opportunity arises throughout this. Just a quick. We believe in a spiritual realm. You know, we're not materialists in any sense of that word. We don't believe in, like, um, the physical only, right? Um, oh, yeah. yeah. And, and we're not mystics either, so we don't believe in something. We don't believe in, like, just a little irking feeling that, that proves I have a soul or something like that. So we believe in the, in the revelation that God gives. We have sufficient data to, to have enough knowledge about the spiritual realm that we're not just feeling our way in the dark about it. At the same time, it's, it is mystical in the sense that we live in a different realm. It's a separate place and we only have what's revealed. Uh, it's, it's uh, mysterious might be a better way to say it. Yeah. Um, It's mysteriously. You can only know what's, what's revealed in scripture. And it's like you said, you know, a lot of speculation that you could have there. Yeah. So here's the Orthodox, I think, some people might, I don't know. Here's the orthodox presentation of the, of, the, of that. Um, yeah, I think it's important. Maybe we don't, maybe I don't need to note this, but I will. But when, <clears throat> but as we saw in chapter one of the Holy Scriptures, the end of that revelation of scriptures, or what's called cessationism. Yeah, yeah. So what what that what they're not confessing is that nothing miraculous happens anymore. So they're simply saying that these gifts of apostleship and prophet have ceased. Because of the revelatory nature of them, and and the sign gifts, and well, the sign gifts which are prophetic in nature, even tongues translated as prophecy, right? We don't, I don't really want to get into that. I'm just saying, whenever they confess that, they're not saying that nothing miraculous happens, that there's somehow no longer a spiritual realm, yeah. which is what a lot of continuationists will will say about the position. But that's not my position, nor is that the confession's yeah, position. So continuationism would be commonly what you'd see that in is charismatic circles well that's a manifestation of it yeah, yeah. pentecostal so circles. it's it's a spectrum and, and so there's some baptists that are continuation right that would be confessional um but i mean however inconsistent you may think that is they're out there they're out there now that that being said I, i'm not one of those nor do i think that that's um cohesive to this confession so the confession is uh, cessationist and cessation just means the ceasing of those sign gifts and the revelatory gifts in the in the New yeah. Testament and, and, and in the old that with the completion of the canon and the supremacy of the revelation of the Son Hebrews 1 uh, that God has completed his revelation in that sense and that these gifts end because of the completion of something 
um, that they were moving towards. Yeah, and that's what they're confessing. So they're not they're not in any way confessing that you no longer live in a in a supernatural world. Yeah, and I yeah. think I think we tend to be painted that way by the continuation. Well, there's some people, there's some folks like that. I mean, don't get me wrong, but that's that's not. That's not the, the the tradition here. That's not what's been confessed historically. That's a, an overreaction of the position. So, so the orthodox presentation, what I was getting to, is that God created angels holy before the creation of the world, before the creation of time in some sense. I mean, as much as we can understand that. He created angels um, for the same purpose as the created order, uh, to glorify Him, to magnify Him, and that's what you see. The majority of time you see angels in Scripture, it's in a worship setting that they are giving God the glory due Him. Hebrews also says that they're ministering spirits sent out for those who are to inherit salvation, that they mirror the work of the Trinity in some sense in their being obedient to God's will and bringing it to pass. They're the agents, you think, of the re- the resurrection and Jesus rises, and they see angels, and they proclaim the truth to the people. They proclaim the truth first to the women. The women then go and tell the disciples. So they become this means uh, to accomplish God's will. But they are supernatural beings in the sense that they don't abide by the physical law that we do. So they don't have kidneys and livers. They don't reproduce, things like that. And Like uh, the angels you see in Luke there. Yeah. You won't reproduce. Yeah, in the, yeah, so. in the second age. So <laughs> the age to come. In. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we'll get into that, I guess. Yeah, at some point. Uh, uh, so so anyway, <laughs> yeah. the back the, to the point. The here. angels yeah. are not uh listed in J- days 1 to 6 here. But yeah, uh, that they're confessing that they were made either so that's what they mean by invisible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not uh, That's sure. the reason it came up here. Okay. Sure, sure. Yeah. So, but in Genesis you don't see that. You right. see that rehashed mm. in some of the Psalms, some some of the other literature in the Old Testament about how the sons of God sang together, how they were there present at the creation, and I think the correct inference there, the necessary consequence. <laughs> necessarily contained. The, that's necessarily contained. You can get your language right yeah, now. So, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, is that uh, the angels were made before the creation of the world and the fall takes place of angelic beings before the creation of the world. And Satan is just present in Genesis 3. It's, it's not, Genesis doesn't belabor his existence or the problem of evil or the fall and all that stuff. He's just there. But the yeah. fact that he is there, I think, is telling that, the, be, yeah. that, this, yeah, that this demonic rebellion um, has come. Demonic and f- being fallen angels <laughs> have fallen from their original created place, have rebelled against God, and have been cast out of that original place that they were. Um, the last part about the decree, and again, they, they just say these things in passing. To be honest, this used to be the worldview that people had in general, so you didn't have to belabor these points like we do today about uh, the existence of angels and demons, the supernatural realm, the fact that man has an immaterial existence to himself, the fact that males are males and females are female, <laughs> all the things you have to just beat a dead horse on. These days, used to be... Uh, just accepted so you wouldn't have to spend much time yeah um right so anyway yeah so um, so in the space of six days and all very good so it's important you're trying trying to move past (laughs) you're trying to get (laughs) yeah we said i feel like i feel like we i feel like we got it i feel like we got the angels yeah oh okay oh you want to say something else go go ahead you want to say something else about angels uh feel free this is your podcast 
You know, this say, is our podcast. Say what you like about the angels. This is our podcast. Say what you want about the angels. I'll take offense at that. <laughs> uh, the, the, it's always been your podcast. <laughs> it's your podcast. It's your podcast. It's my podcast if it does bad. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so um, it is a often unpopular thing. It, it's a item of mockery towards Christians that we do believe in this supernatural realm and you see a much abuse uh, everybody's saying something about angels or something about visions don't mean they got it right we get that you see much abuse of that but that doesn't nullify the fact that this is a real thing that demonic oppression is a real thing that angelic intervention is a real thing you know um, yep. that it's a spiritual war that we fight that we put on the full armor of God in the sense of uh, knowledge of his word, dependence on his son. So that in the book of Acts, when, when things happen about demons and interventions, that's real, you know? It's a real thing. So I, I, I can see you want to move on. Let's move on. <laughs> Sorry about that, man. He means all that. those things, yeah. Yeah, so the, <laughs> the thing, you need, thing we want to focus on in the confession is they're created, man. So, there, <laughs> so there's, there's, there's no invisible realm. There's no spiritual realm. There's no angels. That coexist with God. They're all derivative from him. And uh, all that good stuff. <clears throat> so in the space of six days. Um, in the space of six days. So this is going to be incompatible with like a day age theory. Also that he created all things. So this is also incompatible with like a theistic evolution view of creation. To say that God makes... Uh, makes evolution possible in the mechanism of creation and that's what brings forth that's that's completely against the confession that is that is not even in the repertoire or even in their thoughts at any point in time <clears throat> and it's also inconsistent with scripture but especially the confession of that and all very good so uh i don't know how deep you want to go in you want to go any deeper into the theistic evolution stuff I mean, we can talk about that or <laughs> what do you think about that <laughs> I, I still want to talk about angels. Well, you keep talking about so, angels. So, how important do you think it is to believe the just the basic testimony that when the Lord says, um, and hang on a second, we'll, ju- we'll just read it. And, and um, so, Genesis 1, 3. And God said, let there be light. There was light. God saw that the light was good. God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, the darkness he called night. There was evening and there was morning the first day. So how important is it that when he says that, we believe it? Yeah, so it's very important. Uh, it's very important. It's not, I'll, I'll say it like this. It's not enough that God said it. It's not enough that God inscripturated it. It's required for his church to confess it. Mm-hmm. Right. So that that sounds kind of blasphemous on its face, but what I understand it is that Scripture and Revelation is given so that the people of God would confess it, would believe it, would be would 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 glorify Him through that truth revealed. So it's very important. It's there's nothing that's inconsequential that is revealed in the Scripture, and uh, as far as just a straightforward reading of Genesis, as is to say, it's six literal twenty-four hour days, such as the Confession does. It's kind of sets your paradigm for pretty much of how much you're willing to uh, stand where the scripture does, and how much you're gonna want to squirm and try to and try to uh, make it work with whatever flavor is of the day. <clears throat> because that's that's at the end of the day, 
any other system other than that is imposed upon the text. What what comes out of the text clearly is, in fact, in the space of six days, and yeah. that's six 24-hour days. So we're in the modern vernacular. That means we're young earth creationists. That means that we believe uh, God did create out of nothing, and there was a time when nothing existed. And the answer to the fact that something does exist is that God, the supernatural cause, has created things. That's the only logical conclusion is our assertion, and it's revealed to us, which is even, you know. So you got that. Yeah, I think you get, the, you get a lot of other problems uh, cascading out of the fact that you yeah, want we'll, to take Yeah, we'll get into those. Yeah. So suffice it to say that if you listen to my podcast and I say the sky's blue, I expect you not to change that into something insane. Like, not to say, I know he said the sky is blue, but this is a poetic podcast, and what he really meant was insert just your own opinion or some sort of theory that's popped up about yeah, the, the, what blue means. Okay? So, yeah. so my point is, that might be a stupid point, but my point is <laughs> that God can speak much better than me, and he can make his will known, his, his word known, much better than I can. If he created our uh, capacity to understand, then he can be understood. So when he says morning and evening the first day, and then morning and evening the second day, and he does this six days in a row, then um, we're to take it as if, okay, um, he said what he meant. So so as hard as that is to reconcile, I would say impossible to reconcile with modern scientific understanding of, say, the age of the earth, all those things that are, this is the controversy. That the world's 13.8 billion years old and, and all those things, that they things pop into existence out of nothing and slowly creep upward pro- progressively in evolution, all those things. We, we reject that out of hand, you know, and, and we realize that, you know, uh, that's unpopular. So, right. So we want to, so the, the pushback at which you'll receive is if you believe this, well, you're just taking it, you're just taking the Bible literally and then it needs to be taken other ways. Now, I don't take the Bible literally. Now, now listen, well, I take the Bible according to its language. So when it uses poetic things, I, I want to interpret it poetically according to the literature given. Yeah, so we don't think that God has a right hand or opinions or right. Wounds. So when, it, when, when Christ says, pluck out your eyes, if it causes you the sin, pluck out your eye, he doesn't literally mean that. I know that according to the literature given. This is historic narrative in Genesis 1, so he's literally just telling you yeah, so let's what get, happened. Since yeah. we opened up the can of worms, <clears throat> let, let's do two things. Okay. One, we'll get into the all the various theories from a theological slash exegetical viewpoint, exegesis being the examination and interpretation of the text, that... Uh, over the years that have become popular. Um, So from a Christian worldview, trying to harmonize, um, air quotes, scientific data, end air quotes. Yeah, but it's (laughs) non-observable. It's historic science, which everybody in the Christian community needs to understand that nobody was there to observe this, and then it cannot be repeated. Therefore, this is not a bringing forth of the scientific method. No, it's a revelation. Yeah, so it's historic science. It's men seeking to justify their own rebellion. So the real issue through the implantation of their own worldview upon whatever they find the real the real issue scripturally is <clears throat> men have sought in a theological way that is through theological speculation interpretation to say well we can still have that we can believe in the witness of the scientific community and this 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 roughly starts 
at the end of the 1700s uh, into the 1800s ish really middle 1800s becomes a real issue and into the 20th century the 1900s you see this become basically the from the accepted norm I would the say. accepted norm yeah, in so. academia um as, as evolution gained the, the great excuse and, in which and, man was looking for yeah so. and the, the whole package of the worldview that comes along with that which is atheistic materialism naturalism those things rascalism <laughs> Nepotism. <laughs> Nepotism. So, so anyway, <laughs> we, we could do many podcasts on, on all the historical stuff on that. Yeah, I'll say so, what, yeah. So, let's start with the theological deal. So yeah. theologically, the, one of the most famous early um, ways to try to harmonize this, to look at culture and air quote science, end air quotes, <laughs> to look at that and say, how can we still believe the Bible's witness about Genesis 1 and 2 and at the same time hold in our other hand these things that we think are concretely true? We've proven it. It has to be. So how can we harmonize it? And you do look... Uh, so when you do those, you're going to look pretty stupid to everybody that's in academia because they have uh, they have grouped up and accepted these things and said, this is dogma. That's it, what it is. It's dogma. And when you don't agree with dogma, you're on the answer. What's dogma? Dogma is just is a proof that uh, is a truth that must be presupposed for anything. Okay. So, <clears throat> so it's, so it's their saying, confession, right? Yeah, they <laughs> so, have a confession. Yeah. You got to start mm-hmm. with this. Yeah. So anyway, um, men at varying degrees of faithfulness, we'll say it like that, okay, have tried to do this in a famous way, uh, number one, is called the gap theory. So the gap theory is that there's a gap between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. And that in that gap is the angelic rebellion. And because of the angelic rebellion in heaven, it distorts God's will, creation, however you want to slice that up, on earth. And therefore, between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, we have uh, a space for these billions of years of decay, corruption, and all this. So that's how you harmonize the fact that the Bible presents a six to 10,000-year-old universe, world, cosmos, um, and... You know, you, you try to get around it in that way, and you say, well, actually, gap theory. Insert gap theory. This harmonizes it for us. So, yeah, so there's a gap between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. That's Genesis 1-1 really, and Genesis 1-2. Yeah, so that's the reason that you, that's called the gap theory. The other one's the day-age. So they're saying that, <clears throat> that day doesn't mean a 24-hour period, but simply an age of time. That's not grammatical. That's just not in the text. Uh, that's imposed upon it in order to try to make it... Um, more compatible with that. So I think the problem that you really get into there is, so if you look at Jesus's use of, of Genesis of the Old Testament, I mean, for him, Adam is a historic man. Uh, Abraham is a historic man. So all these things. So if you want to say that it's poetic, that's not the way in which Jesus interprets it. And also you have a lot of problems such as sin before the fall, death before the fall, and all these other things, which really, you know, mars Genesis pretty hard. And our understanding of it. So that's the implications that flow out of that. <clears throat> yeah, so the poetic deal uh, takes... Yeah, the, the, the nail in the head is that's not the way Jesus interprets it. Right, so Sure. So the, the poetic um, form takes a few different paths that it tries to harmonize this. That So the day-age theory exegetically is a poetic argument that it wasn't intended to be taken literally as history, as a historical narrative, but that it's poetic um and and that's not to say that you can't 
see that argument why somebody would go there. It's to say that it's not faithful to the text. Uh, morning and evening, day marker. Morning and evening, day marker. And and it's it's like that's not that's not meant to, meant to be taken as poetic. Um, and then in Genesis, subsequently you see the generations of Adam. You see that his entire lifespan is given, and his descendants' lifespans are given. So yeah, I mean, so not to say that it's uniform in church history, but there are some people that would have some different interpretations <clears throat> throughout church history. But it, it, this is a, this is obviously the main view, and obviously is not controversial at all during the time of the, of the confession. Well, uh, this to, was an accepted yeah. interpretation, which is you know very very well attested to by all Christians at the time. So we have this outside source that starts to give us uh, troubles. Yeah, church. so it's not it's not new exegetical things. This is purely harmonizing with culture yeah, and whatever. Just trying to find a way to hold. Yeah, to, to, for them not to make fun of you, pretty yeah, much. Two yeah, two different things. Yeah, to say it in a, yeah. <laughs> like that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So um, yeah, so so six literal twenty-four hour days of creation is we believe the yeah. biblical witness. Obviously, the framers of the confession would agree. Yeah. So the confession believes that as well. Uh, so and all very good. That's important. So God doesn't create into His creation sin or imperfection, all that arises from the creature. All that arises from it. It's not imparted to it. <clears throat> so all this is very good. The visible and invisible, all things that are made, are made and they're perfectly glorifying him before the fall. Uh, and they're doing that, <clears throat> and, they're, and then they're very good. There you go. You good with point one? I'm good with point one. Anything else you want that, to? That, that should get you back started. To, let's anyway. go back to angels. <laughs> Someone has to say. All right. So point two, chapter four, point two. After God had made all other creatures, he created man, male and female, with reasonable and immortal souls, rendering them fit unto that life to God for which they were created, being made after the image of God in knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness, having the law of God written in their hearts and power to fulfill it, and yet under a possibility of transgressing, being left to the liberty of their own will, which was subject subject to change. So you see the use here, a straightforward use, uh, Genesis one twenty seven and Genesis 2.7. Uh, of course, that's just a straightforward, um, God made them male and female, uh, Genesis one twenty seven, and then Genesis 2.7, that he breathed into their nostrils the breath of life. And we're, we're going to get in, hopefully, to a helpful in-depth conversation about the image of God. Yeah, what is that? So um, about... Uh, being made upright, being made holy, and and those things. Yeah, they, I mean they use. Sorry, I'll go ahead. They sorry. use Ecclesiastes seven twenty nine, which basically says man was made upright, uh, but he's devised many ways to not be upright. <laughs> so, so, so you know what I mean. Um, Actual translation. <laughs> that's yeah, the message. So, so <laughs> some message Bible there. Um, Mitchell's message. Mitchell's message. Bible. Message from Mitch. <laughs> that should be a uh, segment. So they use the the idea of it, of it being written on their hearts. They use, of course, uh, Romans 2, 14 and 15, which is uh, that the law of God is written into the heart of man, that it's a conscience. It's, it informs conscience that no one uh, can claim ignorance uh, to God's standards and man's uh, responsibility to complete those standards and that the witness of your conscience that testifies against you 
that that was present in creation, even before the fall, that they had the law written on their hearts. Uh, it's a good inference, I think. It's necessarily con- necessarily contained. Yeah, we'll get, we'll get into all that stuff. So, um, and then of course it was su- subject to change, and they use um, Genesis three six, which is the temptation. Okay, so the temptation of Eve that she sees that this tree is good for food, able to make one wise. She basically pivots from God says. Uh, this is what this tree is and she's tempted and pivots and is deceived and there that that evidence is the will that she has and it's it's uh potentiality to change that that it wasn't um compulsory and that the will of man is a real entity and that it did change it was obedient and then it was disobedient and in that evidences its ability to change right so yeah, yeah. You, do you want me to go into the ex nihilo thing or not really? I mean, it would have been great in point one. Well, it's the creation of man. Okay, yeah, go so, ahead, go ahead. So in point one, uh, the the second London here leaves out ex nihilo or out of nothing, which is which is contained both in the Westminster and the Savoy. So so you're saying they would have said in the beginning God created out of nothing everything that is. That yes, that's correct. So. That's what you would have had there. Now, not that they don't believe that, because obviously they do. You can these men aren't heterodox. Right? Um, the reason that, that would be speculation, but the reason that I think that they left that out is because of this this reason here, is because technically, out of nothing, not all things were created, and this is a technicality. But they're trying to be precise. So I don't think they're leaving it out because they believe that there's some kind of pre-existent matter or something in which God uses to create. That's the reason they're leaving it out. I think they're leaving it out because man is not created ex nihilo. Uh, man is created out of dust. He's out of the dust of the ground. So he, so they take that. So technically, even though the dust is ex nihilo, and you can, you can, you can legitimately say that it's ex nihilo. They're saying technically, <laughs> technically, man is created from the dust. I think that's why they leave it out. Now that's speculation, but huh. <laughs> so I mean, you have that in the Reformed tradition. You can read in theology. You have primary and secondary creation. Secondary means that he takes existing things and makes it something new, as you see with the creation of man. And so technically, either either one is correct. So you can say that he creates out of nothing, or that he transforms, or he takes the dust and then creates man. So even before, okay, good. So even <laughs> even before the transgender movement. <laughs> it was important to know male and female in 1689 really yeah. 1677 they were saying wow this is this is straightforward stuff man yeah uh, so yeah he created them male and female that's yeah. genesis who would yeah. have ever thought that that would be like hang on a minute that's controversial yeah what what, what did they identify as you know what i'm saying <laughs> so, so we live in a time where this is like uh critical somehow uh, the distinction between male and female. Now, it's, I think it's always been, uh, and you see it in the curse, that there's always been this, um, <clears throat> after the fall, there's always been this uh, b- struggle between the sexes in that sense. And the, the roles of men and women and all those things have all, you know, been controversial. But the fact that they're men and women has now become controversial. So, um, yeah. So, so the confession in, in Genesis, <clears throat> the confession accurately representing Genesis, you know, there are two. Yeah, male and female. Yeah. So they're both made in the image of God in equality, but they have very different attributes and roles. Um, yeah. To say it as plain as you can, and um, it doesn't matter what they identify as. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree with you yeah, there. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah, just making sure I, I don't know about you. Yeah, no. so yeah, so the, the framers would have had no vocabulary to, to understand <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. They're just like, I don't know what you're talking about. So yeah, yeah, that's a that's a modern invention. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> it's a modern manifestation. Let me say it that way. Yeah. So the image of God, what is it? Yeah, so they're created with reasonable, reasonable and immortal souls, um, rendering them fit unto that life to God for which they were created beings made after the image. So after the image of God, they go on to qualify what that, they're, they're giving you at least some of it, in knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness, having the law of God. So the image of God is ultimately Christ and what he does. That's the perfect picture of the image of God. What uh, what I would say the image of God is is the attributes of God <clears throat> given to man, um, the communicable attributes anyway. That is uh, eternal life, moral reasoning capabilities. Um, at least it's a big part. Now the full image of God is not not really going to be known until the consummation, but it gives you here so it's the attributes of god given to you knowledge righteousness true holiness so you can think of the image of god as a noun and then as a verb as a noun the image of god is what uh, is given to man that makes him distinct from all other created things and, and they frame it as immortal souls and uh, I, I think digging a little deeper that's a a reasonable capacity that's a logical ability uh so so on that one end of thinking and you've had volumes of, of writing r- written on this many trees murdered m- much ink spilled on this idea <laughs> murdered is it yeah murdered they also <laughs> so <laughs> that would be a non-biblical use of the term murder of a tree it's impossible it's, yeah. okay that's a good point yeah <laughs> i gotta go <laughs> so, talking about technicalities yeah yeah there you go so so um the the capacity that man has to reason to all those things the, the, those abilities that separate us from the from the beasts beasts don't build libraries beasts don't logically connect things and build great structures and, and all those things so we know that that's apparent yeah uh, that's the, the capabilities yeah. capability. that's the verb right yeah and god has that in himself god communicates that in a much lesser degree <laughs> okay his ways are not ours but he but he gives that to us in order that we could fulfill the verb part of that so the second part of course is an immortal soul so when you in our time we're we're basically materialists okay and we don't realize it so we tend to think of the body one thing the main thing whatever and that there's this other thing that's inside of us that somehow connects to the body but we don't really know it's just weird we feel it it's odd um so so it's actually the, the way the Bible presents it is that the image of God is both body and soul is that the connection of the body and soul to make up the one unit of man is all that is the image of God in general that you can distinguish between the body and the soul, but that there is no mankind or man's existence or image of God without that connection. So suffice it to say the body is not um, bad and the soul is not good. We're not Gnostics. So, so, um, the, the idea of the distinguishing between body and soul is good. There's also just real quickly, this debate of tripartite or uh, bipartite, this idea of three parts of man or two parts of man, body, soul, and spirit or body and soul. It's a classic theological debate. Um, I'm a two-parter. 
I think the the use of spirit and soul are synonymous within Scripture, though though they do use both uh, in various places. Uh, kind of like when Jesus, uh, or well, in Deuteronomy, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Uh, though you can distinguish between them, it's really one thing. Just love the Lord your God with everything you have, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the same thing with the use of soul and spirit there. Yeah, I think there's there's a common, this is, I think, just a default view as of when, when, when the breath of life is breathed into Adam there and he becomes a living soul. Uh, by that by that definition, you just kind of default, k- kindly think that uh, this is like the spaceship, the outside, and then there's an alien driving inside, like <laughs> Men in Black, you know, when the little person comes out. What? You, you know what I'm talking about? No. But, <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of the, the default view is in like, I'm this, but inside of me is my true being, and it's kind of like driving the ship. The little guy. The little knot. The little guy. So that's um, the impartation of the soul there is not a Gnostic idea. Is like it brings animation to this body. It, it, that's in the creation. So that's woven into what you see. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason that, that the consummate state or the resurrected body is physical. Yeah. So what's the, the, the creation of the world and what you see now. So when you're looking at me, you're looking at my soul in some sense. This is not, it's bipartite and you can distinguish them but they're united in you they're not they're, you can't separate them in this in that sense so what you have is what's mysterical what's 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 hard to understand is, is the state in between uh, the creation in your death and then the consummation yeah so the point is when jesus comes he purchases a, uh, our redemption it's a it's a guarantee of eternal life in a physical form that's what we ultimately look for. Yeah. All the conversations yeah. about all that other stuff we'll get into. Not right now. Right. Intermediate yeah. state. Whatever. Inter- yeah. Right. So, so um, long story short, <clears throat> you get to talk about angels, but I don't get to talk about the intermediate state. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So, so the the image of God in men. Um, yeah. So that's is a, the, is a multifaceted yeah. thing. The last yep. part I'll say about the noun idea of that is that uh, this immortal soul. Adam was not created to die, nor would he ever have died in in his perfect state had he been obedient uh, yeah. unto the covenant given to him. Yeah, so that's what we need. So subject to change. What you see here is Adam is capable from creation to fulfill the verb yeah. part. So the yeah. verb part of the image of God is to image God. That um, he's given, which it gets into dominion, but the purpose for Adam and the um, garden... And the covenant of works is that he would be obedient to that, fill the earth, subdue it. And in so doing, he would image God. Um, so that when Romans 5 says that the second Adam has come, when 1 Corinthians 15 says the second Adam, um, the man of dust and the man of heaven in that comparison. What they're saying is Jesus comes and fulfills the creation mandate in a perfect sense. J- Jesus comes and he's the second Adam. He's a life-giving spirit. In that he, um, where our first head, which we're getting into covenantal stuff, but where, yeah, where, where, gonna have to, yeah. where Adam fails, Christ succeeds. Where he imparts death, Christ imparts life. Yeah. And um, when Adam is disobedient, Christ is obedient. Um, all those things. Yeah, so what you see is, is, uh, is you kind of mentioned in passing. So you see the, the classic uh, operation, the classic covenantal view in which the confession is brought forth in. Which I think it's biblical, <clears throat> yeah. But so you see those three um, 
uh, covenants. So you see the covenant of redemption and decree that's made inside the Godhead before creation to say that uh, we will create and we will redeem, right? Uh, before the foundation of the world, the election, and while we went into that, that's the covenant of redemption before creation. What's given to Adam here is what's called the covenant of works. What I like better is the covenant of life. So he comes to Adam and he creates him, and he creates him capable of doing these things. And he says, take dominion, make the world a garden. So he puts him in the garden and says, this is the example. This is what I want you to do. Take dominion. And in some sense, he has dominion. We'll get in that in, in point three. But so that is a probationary period, liable to change, the confession says, subject to change, in which that he says, Adam, do this, and then this life in which you have will be eternal. So when Adam falls, what happens, Mitch? He kicks him out of the garden, puts a cherubim, the guard what? The tree of life. The tree of life. So that's to say that this is a probationary period to say, if you if you'll let me define morality, if you let me be God and you walk after my ways and fulfill my commission to you to subdue the world and to have dominion, then you will have eternal life, everlasting life here and now. Yeah, so it's not a he was going to die. Yeah. It, it was eternal life in the sense of... Um, Cemented, as in yeah. not liable to change, such as you yeah. and I will have through Christ. Not yeah. liable to change. That's the difference. Yeah. Uh, so in the failure, you see immediate death, separation, and then you see physical death afterwards. So in the success, you would have never seen any death. You would have seen a um, very different yeah. world and a a very different human race. We would have it be having a, uh, this podcast would be unnecessary. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Completely. Yeah. So, so, yeah. so, yeah. Yeah. So that's what, so you have uh, given to Adam a covenant, the covenant of works or the covenant of life as in fulfill this. Uh, and then you will be permanently like this. He falls almost in my speculation, almost immediately. So that's the reason that you and I uh, in Christ have a new head or a new, um, a completer of this covenant so we fall in adam adam fails and yet like mitchell said the second adam does not he fulfills this um he feels this this commission given to him right he fulfills the law that's what that means as in he keeps this covenant yeah so here's 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 a, a good point they had this image given to them and all it contains they had the image as a verb given to them as a purpose they understood that they were uh, not, uh, so, so so often, so often, this is framed as Adam and Eve basically being children in their, <laughs> in their minds, in their abilities, and that um, when they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they become like somehow more wise and actually smart, and that the devil was right, in, and he <laughs> said, you'll actually be wiser and better off. So, so that's, not, that's not it. Um, <laughs> it's not anyway it. Nor is it... Um, this idea that God says you could have this cookie, but I don't want you to have this cookie, right? It's actually um, what the Bible says that it is. It's it's you will have death. Yeah, that um, and that death there is immediate physical and spiritual death. As in Adam should have immediately died. He should have and been physically. Cut off. Yeah. yeah, and and his immortal soul then would have been taken into eternal punishment had the justice of God yeah. alone been in view. Right? Yeah. So this is the covenant made with all men. Right here in Adam. You and I have his eyes, his hair, his skin, whatever you want to put. We inherit his his genome. Also, we inherit his nature. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know how deep you can get in the weeds on that. But. Okay. But he's left in the liberty <laughs> of his own will. So yeah. Um, in the decree chapter, chapter three, 
Go ahead. Sorry. In the decree chapter, we said that even the falls decreed, all things are decreed yeah, after the um, secret will of God in that sense, that he uh, decrees all things that come to pass, but that stipulation of it does not do any violence to the will of the creature. And you see that they retain that idea here, that he had the possibility of obedience and he had the ability to obey, that a transgression is a real culpable um, thing that Adam is responsible for, and we inheriting his nature are responsible for, and then us and our actions are still responsible, even though we're corrupted and unable, doesn't take away responsibility. So it's a bleak picture. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't think you inherit your guilt from Adam. You inherit your nature. You inherit both. Uh, so you inherit your nature, then you act upon your nature. And you, you inherit the guilt of Adam as well. You inherit the guilt of Adam in the nature. In the nature. Yeah, so each man will pay for his own sin. That doesn't mean that, that inside of Adam you sin that means inside of adam he gives you that fallen nature and then you acting upon that nature bring your own guilt upon yourself but you're guilty by nature you're gu- right i agree with that so okay. that's a nuance view inside of it. but anyway guilty by nature right okay so um so you, you see that so what i want you to see here is that it, what's given to adam in the garden is a covenant eternal life would be that the subject to change part would would no longer be in yeah, effect. That's the end of the covenant, the probationary period. That's what you and I have in Christ, not subject to change. That when we're glorified, we're not hoping yeah. that we don't fall again. Right. And that's also what the elect angels have. Right. They're yeah. they're fixed from that. But anyway, so uh, I was going to say something else. Oh, that's the reason that Christ has to be a man. That's the reason that he must put on flesh and do these things because the covenant is made with men. The covenant is made with a man. As in uh, the garden here is fulfill this, fulfill my law, which they have. Right, having the law of God, so fulfill that law, Adam, and then this probationary period in which you have will be eternal, and that you inherit the world permanently. Yeah, and you'll keep you'll keep taking yeah. dominion, you'll keep doing the things that you were doing, but you will have no more potentiality for yeah fall. Correct. On a philosophical philosophical level, I would say this is the most disturbing part about human existence when you actually examine it and you understand it. Even as a lost person, is this you could have everything that your heart desires and tomorrow it's gone. And Jesus paints this brilliantly in the man in the barn parable, right? That um, build me more barns. I got more stuff than I can hold. I need more barns. And he says, today your soul will be required of you. What will you do then? This is the real problem. Every anxiety ridden soul, every worry filled heart is because of this potentiality that you can't live with. Right. And we're saying that uh, as Christians, that potentiality is not removed from us in a physical sense, but it is in an eternal sense that we in Christ don't have this fear anymore, that the fear of death, Hebrews, that kept people subject to lifelong slavery has been taken from us. Uh, So, you know. Yeah. So death switches. I can't remember the catechism answer. It's very good. And I wish earlier it could. But death switches from a judgment to an inheritance. Right. So the penalty of death is taken away in Christ. So what you're, what you're doing is you're dying physically, but you're inheriting and ultimately waiting the resurrection. So death is also, what I want you to see out of this, is death is also always an enemy. It's never a friend. And this comes forth from Adam's failing. So it's, we always say whether you're 80 or, or you're 80 or 8, right? Uh, some say, well, it's better off that he's dead. He's not. That's very unnatural, and that is an enemy of Christ in which that Christ will conquer. 
Um, so look at death like that. Like it's very unnatural for a man to die. It's very unnatural for these things to occur, and that is the result <clears throat> of sin. <clears throat> so, and every man knows this intrinsically. So when I have a phone and I charge it up, and I and I use it, and the battery goes down, I understand that, and it doesn't emotionally jar me. Okay, because it's a physical entity. It has physical properties, and it dies. When a man dies, we get together. Even as unbelievers, I've seen it over and over. Unbelievers get together and mourn. Why? Why? <laughs> because it's unnatural. Because we feel the sting of that. Um, and as Christians, hopefully, we can uh, mourn not as others do, as Paul says. That we mourn because it is unnatural and it does sting. But that that ultimate sting of death can be taken. So, um, yeah, you, you could say much more about the Adamic Covenant. Yeah, so um, yeah, we want you to see that here. And they don't use that language, and they also don't use that language in the covenantal section. Uh, I would say by consequence, they do talk about covenant of redemption and the covenant of grace. But in here, I think uh, they would obviously believe this. So this this is pretty widely accepted inside of that tradition. But <clears throat> this, this, this thing given to Adam is a covenant, and that covenant is fulfilled in Christ. And, and, and fallen in Adam. The next thing that we really need to talk about is having the law of God. So do you want to talk, do, we, do you want me to just talk, or for us to talk about the law of God in two, and then talk about it again in three, because that's the main point of three. Uh, or do you want to read three, then we can kind of contrast the two. Either way you want to do it. Let's, let's read three. Okay. Three. Besides the law written in their hearts, they received a command not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil which whilst they kept, they were happily in their communion with God and had dominion over the creatures. And they use, of course, Genesis 2.17, yeah. Genesis 1.26.28, which is just uh, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I've given you um, every tree that's good. You can have unlimited access to all these things, but not this one. So that, <laughs> that's, right. that's the command. Mm-hmm. That's uh, the command given. Yeah, so... Yeah. So, well, the confession here is when they said having the law of God written in their hearts, the two things which you're going to see here is what's commonly called uh, creation law or the laws that which are woven into the fabric of reality because God creates. So, uh, and then you're going to have what's called positive law in three, as in <clears throat> besides the law written in their hearts, they have another law that's received the command not to eat. So, uh, so you have positive law and you have creation law. So when we think of Adam in the garden, we, we only think that if he just doesn't eat the fruit, then he won't fall. And that's not true. So if Adam doesn't eat the fruit, but he kills Eve, he still falls. The reason that is, is because the law written on his heart is implicit in creation. So what Adam actually has is 10 implicit commands, such as the moral law, the creation law. And he has one positive command given to him as in don't eat this fruit. So apart from God's positive command of saying don't eat this fruit, he could have eaten anything and naturally would have been fine. But because God says um, do not eat of this, it becomes evil. So any disobedience is evil, but positive law creates something that in itself is not evil and makes it good or evil, if that makes sense. Does that make sense to you, man? Yeah, it's a it's a deep thought. So um, I think... A, a good framework to try to understand that is the positive law of the Mosaic right? and the positive law of the New Testament. So it's wrong. It's actually morally wrong for me as a New Testament Christian to go Sunday, walk a goat up to the pulpit 
slit its throat, <laughs> ask for a priest to sprinkle this on the yeah. mercy seat. So we don't have any of that, number one. And it would be morally wrong for me. But it was morally obligated for the Mosaic worshiper in that mm-hmm. economy to do something similar. So, right. so... Yeah. So, so you can see, is it wrong? Was it was it sinful when Cain killed Abel? Yeah, and you don't see that command yet. Yet now, the reason that it is known is because it's in creation. It's creation yeah, so, law. So dumbing it down for a guy like me again, this is to say that um, the scripture reveals to us that morality is intrinsic to our nature. That we actually do know, though it may be dim, though it may vary from person to person as far as its expression in their own conscience, that every person, because they're made in the image of God, has moral knowledge and accountability to God who made that soul and who informed that soul. This is why when you, uh, and this is a pretty grisly example, but when you take a child who's been abused and you set them before an audience in a courtroom and you say, what happened to you? Like, they've never had a morality class or a business ethics class. They've never had any of this instruction outwardly. It's inwardly known to them that something was violated in them. You don't have to teach that to them. Uh, And you see the same thing even in adults who have no outward instruction but are morally indignant about this or about that. Why are they morally indignant? Why do people who uh, intellectually are atheists or practically are nihilists, there's nothing out there, but then they get morally indignant. Uh, why? Because it's intrinsic to the nature of man to be morally accountable and morally informed. That is, you don't have to tell someone your wife probably shouldn't cheat on you. They, they can uh, manufacture many <laughs> ideological systems in which that's okay, but deep down they know it's not, and that's because it's in them. Yeah, so, you know. right. So. so the Ten Commandments, as an example, are an inscripturated witness of a natural revelation. Okay, that is binding say, upon all flesh for all ages for all time. Yeah. Yes. So both tables. <laughs> so you parse that out in the Mosaic economy, and you see its application in the case law and all that Exodus twenty and the subsequent chapters of case law. So you see that, and you say, okay, but what we're saying is the the fact that you shall not murder is clear yeah uh, yeah you should not commit adultery clear so yeah i think the sack well we won't go down that route okay, but good so, <laughs> but uh well what i was going to say not what you were saying um but you see like you said so is the fact that you are a creature as in you don't have being in yourself as in you derive being from god he gives it to you so inside of that he gives stipulations he gives commands and a law and that law is written in the fabric of of creation because he is the creator and you are the creature yeah. Uh, so, so that's going to look the same for everybody throughout all time. So, uh, whether you circumcise uh, your eighth day old baby today or not is irrelevant according to God, but it's not to Moses. So, it, but you cannot kill your child. <laughs> so, the, the law of God is not gone and done away with in the New Testament. That's still binding. Creation law is still binding with different positive laws to to where we find ourselves in redemptive history. Yeah, so that's that's a long in depth conversation. Much nuance, yeah. Much room to disagree on certain applications. That's for sure. But what's right. what's not there? I think the what there's not room to disagree on is that man is made morally upright in every sense of that. He's also morally accountable and knowledgeable of right and wrong. And he didn't uh, kill his wife. That's the thing. <laughs> he broke the positive command, which is the easiest one. 
Okay. So, yeah. so uh, it's not like, oh, well, I kind of feel bad. I'm not sure. I'm trying to reason through it. Maybe. Uh, no. <laughs> nope. It's don't do this. I'm going to do it. Okay. Now, now, interestingly enough. And I'm, that's our problem, too. Yeah. The majority of the time is not that we have this moral darkness in ourselves and we really straight. No, we break the explicit instruction given to us. So, And yet again, looking forward to the baptism and obviously the distinctive here. This is their big argument as to say that you're saying that infant baptism, which is a positive law, which is a positive law. You're saying you get that by implication. And they're, and they're completely reacting against that to say. Uh, you're not even saying it's written in the fabric of creation. You're saying this is positive and it's inferred. So they have a big problem with that. I don't want to get too deep down in the weeds, but that's going to be an implication of this, and this is why we see the confession as a unified document as we, as, as we go through. But Oh, gosh. Yeah, so that's their, that's their problem uh, with that. But what I want you to see is the implicit law given to Adam and the explicit command, the positive law. Or another phrase, which may help you understand this, a positive law is also called redemptive law. So it's going to depend on where you're at in redemption and what it looks like. Yeah, so again, the reason that the bulls and goats were sacrificed, even though they can't take away sin, was for a purpose, and it had moral uh, accountability to it. Uh, so yeah and and it came to an end and it's fulfilled and it and its purpose has been fulfilled and it's no longer morally binding because we're in christ yeah so yeah that's that's an example and, and uh, the nuance and the depths of that you could get into which is fine shoot us an email <laughs> we'll direct you to nathan skeens there you go so yeah. so, so uh they uh, i think this is important um they received a command Whilst they kept that command, they were in happy communion with God and had dominion over the creatures. So they're fulfilling what God created them for in perfect harmony with Him. You yeah. you actually see the Spirit of God walking in the cool of the day after the fall. And I think it's given to show us this is the type of communion they had before the fall. No, that's after. So after the fall, He's he's going to find them. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. You're good. Yeah. yeah, okay. I'm with you. Uh, Im- implying that this is what they do daily. Yeah, okay. That, yeah. That, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. In the cool. Yeah, okay. I'm with you now. So okay. they walk with Him. They yep. they, uh, they have a personal, relational communion with Him. No barrier. Okay. Which is amazing to contemplate. Yeah. So it was a return of that, the consummated state, as in this uh, covenant is now fulfilled and, and this state you have is now eternal life eternally uh not subject to change that's that's the physical presence of god back here with us that's the eschaton right uh so you see that sin you see in some sense the drawing away of the presence the dwelling place right uh obviously he's omnipresent but he's also particularly present in particular places we don't have to get into all that but that's the withdrawal of the presence of god and then now the creation groaning and dying waiting for that uh, consummation. Mm-hmm. And then you see the eschaton is that return, uh, not in the same way to the garden and consummation, but that same principle as he's physically here, as you and I touch him and we walk with him forever on this earth. Right? So that's what's lost in this um, this covenant given to Adam here. Now, this They don't say it's a covenant, it's covenantal language. If you disagree, that's fine. But... In this covenant with Adam here, that's what you see as in the, co- the co-regents of man. He's, he, he's ruling and reigning with him on the earth. And that's what it means with as long as they were kept happy and they were, um, had dominion over the creatures. So they were with God 
um, reigning with him in the garden before the fall. Mm-hmm. And then after the fall, you see uh, that dominion, that co-regency lost, and it must be regained in Christ. Yes. <clears throat> so you see an in-depth, obviously, examination of the fall of man's sin and the punishment there of chapter 6. Yeah, that's coming up. Yeah. So we, we won't belabor that. Yeah, I think that's what, they're, what they're trying to get across here is that uh, God created everything good. He's revealed how that took place. Uh, yeah. took place in six literal 24-hour days. I, I, I do think you can disagree on that. I think you can. I don't think you should. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that wouldn't define your so, fellowship yeah, with so, Christ. So if somebody comes to me and says... It's, a, it's egregious error, I would think. Somebody comes to me and says, I, I'm a day-age guy. Uh, I would love to talk to you about that, try to <laughs> persuade you. But I'm not going to say, you know... You're anathema to me. You're you're a curse to me. You're not. You can't be in Christ if you don't agree with me. I'm not saying that. There's some things I would say that to you on. Like if you say I'm not so sure about this son of God, son of man distinction. I'm not so sure about this uh, Jesus being fully God thing. I would say you're anathema to me. Change, repent. <laughs> you will not be admitted into membership here because you have denied a fundamental element. Um, so it, it, I, I will say this: it is fundamental. Um, in the sense that this is how you're going to handle the scriptures. When they give you a narrative, are you just going to accept it, or are you going to work your way around it? Gonna... You bring up a good a good usage. I don't know if we talked about this in the introduction. A good usage of the confession. So, yeah, anybody that would say that I don't hold to the six-day creation, uh, which I would think would put you at odds with the confession, I wouldn't say that you... Uh, this is uh, this is this is like a argument that's against any confession, really. So whatever your confession may be. But this confession shouldn't be used to that. Say, well, you're, now you can't join this church. And the only thing that requ- that I would require uh, is your subscription to the confession, any confession to join a church, would be that you agree with it enough that you'll be subject to it. Yeah. So you can't get mad at me. I won't kick you out, and I won't say that you need discipline as a church member because you don't believe in six days creation. But then you can't get mad at me when I get up in the pulpit or when my elders, whoever it is, confess these things because... Yeah. So you, you know what you're getting from me, yeah, as a minister. And then again, um, so it, so what it, what yeah. I would discipline you for is sowing division, teaching the gap theory, teaching the day age theory, and starting a little Bible study on your own. And, right. and so that, that brings it back to submission. So you must yeah. submit to it enough to be submissive to it. Yeah, yeah. So so you don't even, have to agree with yeah, everything you, that's in. I'm it. not going to bind your conscience on it because it you know, but the Word of God does, and hopefully rightly teached taught of the rightly taught <laughs> and, and explained we learned you <laughs> you learned something <laughs> we learned you boy so so yeah yeah so that, it's a good example good i think this, this so what i would not admit you though and this may vary is uh theistic evolution we can't hold that we can't hold theistic evolution and you see the why because not only does it violate the historical narrative it violates the explicit uh, revelation okay so the explicit revelation is god's the first cause of all things God creates out of nothing, and God um, uh, is the, um, the, the so, so the, theistic evolution <laughs> contradicts that to such a degree that you're actually compromising the doctrine of creation there, okay? So if you say, I, I disagree on the time span, right? That's a little different, and I, uh, there's room for nuance in that. There's room yeah. for disagreement. It gets at the substance, right? It gets it's, at the it, God's God glorifying, <laughs> all that good stuff. Gets yeah. at the substance. Gets at the substance. So I don't want you to... What what I'll leave you with is, so you see in the confession of creation, you see God in the beginning. God creates all things. He is the unmoved mover, the first being. It's a triune act. 
Uh, he does it to glorify himself. He doesn't. He doesn't need to do it. He does it simply out of his uh, gracious character and goodwill. <clears throat> um, he doesn't derive anything from the creation, but but uses it to his own purposes. He creates all things visible, invisible. Uh, you got six days there, and all very good. So he creates things all very good. He's in the beginning, and then two and three. What I want you to see is he gives a covenant to Adam. Says, "Do this and live." And inside that covenant, he gives him what's called creation law and what's called redemptive law or positive law. So that's point two is going to get you the creation law written on the heart. And point three is going to get you that redemptive law, that positive law is do not eat. And that's not written on the heart. That's given to him explicitly. Uh, so that's that's the, th- the main points I want you to get out of that. So he's created happy. He's created he's created good and all these things. And then he falls. And we'll talk more about that later. And then Christ restores. But he's given those two laws. So he's given creation law and he's given positive law. And um, we'll talk about the law more in depth later. But that'll be a good uh, overview for you anyway. So anything to add to that, Mitch? A lot, a lot, like I said, we could say all, all kinds of things. Angels. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, angels. Angels are there. Yeah, Angels were there, man. They witnessed the creation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he cre- so they are created... Anything that's visible and invisible. They were created, but they also witnessed the creation of the material universe. I agree with that, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't think that's a confessional thing, but yeah, I'd agree with you. Yeah. I'll kick you out about it. Yeah. You're so out. that's 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 not something that must be confessed explicitly, but yeah, I mean obviously I think the scripture teaches that. Mm. Let's close with a prayer. Father, we thank you for this day for allowing us to be able to do these things. Um your providence and what you've taught, um, both me and my brother. Thank you for your mercy towards us. Pray that you would help us to represent you well. Pray that you would help your people to know you better. Uh, Thank you for things like we have in our hands today, the confession, most of all, for your word that is clear to us. Thank you for speaking to us. We know we don't deserve it. We pray that you'd help us to know the Lord better through things like this, ministry opportunities. Uh, Pray that you would give us grace where you know we need it. Uh, Help us to be obedient to you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So next week we got a pretty chapter five. We've got a pretty in-depth chapter. We may do our first two-part episode. Probably should have done a two-part episode with the scriptures, by the way. Oh, yeah. We definitely should have done yeah. two-part on the scriptures. No doubt. We messed that up. Uh, All these are probably should have been two parts. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. How long? What, what, what kind of time frame? How long have we been going? We're at uh, hour 18. Oh, okay. That's a short one. <laughs> Yeah, for, for us we got a good 50 minutes left <laughs> and now we're going to get into what uh, demons yeah demons there you go the, the intermediate state coming at you now now that mitchell yeah. won't cut me off <laughs> do you want to talk about no that? no i mean i would never want to cut anybody off about no the no state. no, no i'm on, just saying you know if you want to be on equal weights and measure what'd you just say you want to be on meal is that what you're saying uh different discussion you and sam storms different day Thank you for being with us. We appreciate it. Uh, We hope that it was edifying to you.